So here's the layout. We can talk about the Magnificat and Luke. We can talk about anything else that might be on your minds. And I have a new handout in case um, you don't have anything you want to talk about. So I'll open it up. Questions, observations, discussions. Not everybody at once. Wow. Oh, just a heads up, one of the reasons, well, there's a couple of reasons. The text is making it. One of the reasons I've been, I've been talking about the Mary and Catholicism is next week, we're going to pause our study of Luke. Does anyone know what next Sunday is? Reformation Sunday. Yeah. Do you know why next week is Reformation Sunday? Reformation Sunday is always the Sunday closest to or before, never after, um, All Hallows' Eve, which is when Martin Luther in 1517, um, nailed, nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral, which is really what most historians see as the spark of the, of the, of the events that led to the schism with Rome and the, the development of Protestantism in the world. Um, we are a Protestant church. And so next week, we'll ask the question, what are we protesting? Um, and the gospel and the Reformation, and it will not be an attempt to just dog on the Roman Catholic Church, but it will be in a sense to say, okay, here's what they believe, and to help us understand in relief what we believe, and what we believe what the gospel, there'll have to be some talking about that, but really we're going to try to focus on how God used men like Martin Luther, Ulrich Zwingli, John Huss, um, and others to rediscover, to, to rebring to the people the gospel of Jesus Christ as it had become confused and corrupted, and so we'll do that next week, and uh, that's where we're going. Any last chance? Any questions about Mary, the Magnificat, and Luke? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, when we first, well, before we came here, Serena and I had a tradition of doing Reformation parties. I think we kind of like people like, what on earth when we first came here? Anyone ever come to one of our Reformation parties? Oh. <laughs> well, that was, okay. So, okay, I guess. But Serena like, made this like big fluffy hat for me, and, you know, it was, we'd, we'd Anyway, um, it was an excuse to dress up and wear costumes because it was all like Reformation garb and stuff. And we have these Reformation parties and, yeah. Anyway, what? Ah, eh, okay. Better be nothing. Okay. Um, any, other, uh, any other thoughts on this? Okay. Um, can I get someone to hand out my handouts? Thank you, Dan. Now, Renee Simmerman did not make these I did, which is why they're cut in perfectly. Oh, Let's see. oh you actually want to be, oh, okay. <laughs> which is why they're not cut perfectly. But uh, I trust you'll be able to follow along well enough. See, for some reason in my mind, I was thinking, congregational meeting, no ABF. And so then... Over the weekend, after, see, my deadline for Renee to print stuff for me is Friday at noon. And sometime after Friday at noon, I'm like, no, congregational meeting, evening. So I had to, had to, I had, to, I had the, the thing already d designed. I just had to print it and cut it. And I'm not very good at that, apparently. So um, I apologize. But lest anyone think I am besmirching the, uh, the work of uh, Renee, far be it from me. Far be it from me. Okay. Okay. And what we're going to do is we're going to start discussing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, it's not going to get controversial this week, and hopefully it won't get controversial at all, but we're not going to get to the controversial stuff this week. This week, as you can see, we've got where are they from and what are they given for, but there, I think that foundation is important because by the time we get to discussing tongues and prophecy and healings, if you've got a firm foundation of what the purpose of gifts are, I think it'll help our discussion of those gifts. So that's where we're headed. Um, so with that being said, um, we will dive in, and the two major passages we'll be looking at will be uh, 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, you want to just turn there, we'll keep going back to 1 Corinthians 12. And it might even be good initially just to read some of 1 Corinthians 12, honestly. Um, Paul is, uh, is in Corinthians dealing with factions, and oftentimes when people read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which are the big chapters on the spiritual gifts, people want to go there to like, you know, study tongues or study prophecy or whatever. The whole real point of the discussion and Paul's, Paul's first and primary purpose in discussing them is to deal with the, the factions and the divisions. It's why the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he spends three chapters dealing with the issue of faction divisions. And I'm of Paul, and I'm of Paulus, and I'm of Christ, and I'm of Cephas, and yada, 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 yada. So that by the time he gets to this part of the book, he's already laid a foundation of, guys, get along. Guys, be unified. Guys, stop fighting. And that's really the issue, is, is they're letting these spiritual gifts tear them apart, and Paul is trying to stress unity. So that's the major theme. The secondary theme is he's talking about spiritual gifts, and there is stuff for us to learn. But I want to make that clear. This isn't first and foremost the passage about spiritual gifts. This is first and foremost the passage about unity and bodiness. So let's pick it up in chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, wherever you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Now, things have gotten pretty bad at Corinth. If This is the first clarification they need to give. <laughs> Just imagine what context. Paul's like, okay, first thing out of the gate. First thing out of the gate, you've got to be clear on this. Christians speaking in the Spirit do not curse Jesus. Is everyone clear? It's just... Just that's horrific that that's where things are getting at. Okay. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities. Now, notice he's talking about the plurality and the one. Because you've got people at Corinth with different gifts doing different things, and he's trying to emphasize that they come from one source. They're for one purpose. There's a variety of things, one Lord. Um, that, that's what he's trying to emphasize. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is one, it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. For to one is given the spirit of utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith, to another the spirit, uh, the same, from faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who portioned each one's ability as he wills. For just as the body is one and the members um, and, and as many members, and all the members of the body, though they are one body, so it is with Christ. From one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, 
Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink the same spirit. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. Then he goes on and on and on and on. And I think at the end he picks it back up at the end of 12. Um, Yeah, pick it up in 12, um, 27. He has this whole extended metaphor of the many parts of the body, one body. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is where we were saying in our series of almost a year ago, church membership is very biblical. It's not membership like being part of a club. It's like member of a body. But it's right there. You are all members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And now comes the love chapter. It's not primarily for weddings. It's primarily for a bunch of bickering, quarreling people saying, guys, love each other. They're from one God. They're from one spirit. They're for one purpose. Love each other. And then he picks it up back up again in 14, talking about tongues and prophecy. But that's, that's the context of this passage, of what's going on. And it's ironic that today so much quarreling and fighting takes place over spiritual gifts. It's kind of sad, really. Um, But that's the context. It's nothing new. It was going on back then. I'm just glad we don't have people claiming to be speaking the Spirit cursing Jesus because they apparently did. Things get pretty bad. Um, I heard heard one pastor once say, you know, all these churches, like, we want to be like the Corinthians. We want to be like the Corinthians. Don't you know Paul was writing to tell them you in last place? (laughs) Sorry. It was Tony Evans. I, I wouldn't back Tony Evans now, but a decade ago I heard him say that, and I thought, well, yeah, he, he can get away with saying and talking. Anyway, I can't, but he can, he can. Anyway, moving on. Okay, first Corinthians, okay, the source of spiritual gifts. And Paul says this twice here in chapter 12. Spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Verse 7. To each, each one, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each and every one. But, point two, it is he who decides what gifts are given to whom. Look at verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. One of the first observations I want to make is there are people who claim that you can, you can get certain gifts if you just pray the right prayers, ask God nicely long enough, This passage defies that. The gifts you get are the gifts you get. The Holy Spirit decides. And Paul's whole point, if you look at the end of chapter 12, is we don't all have the same gifts. The the assumed, obvious, rhetorical answer to, are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Is no. And so the first thing we got to understand is the source of spiritual gifts is the Holy Spirit. And it's he, not us, who decide who gets what gifts. That's first. Okay, any questions on that first foundational point? Okay. Yeah. Okay, we're jumping ahead of ourselves, but what I no 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 that's a great no that's a great question. But in about a week or two, I'm gonna I'm gonna get and we we did a message on this. You can go on our sermon archive. We did 
Daniel and I, in our sort of, periodically we do these like doctrine things. We, we did one on the baptism of the Holy Spirit in tongues. And I use in my baptism of the Holy Spirit the doctrinal statement of the Assemblies of God Church, and I will use it again in a week or two, because I think they're the most Christ-centered, the most godly, the best example. I'm not trying to pick on them. I'm saying this is probably one of the, we're going to see these people in heaven. Like I'm not trying to vilify them. It'd be easy to go grab Benny Hinn's stuff. It'd be easy to go grab Kenneth Copeland's stuff. I mean, they're clearly ridiculous, crazy stuff. Let's grab the most sane, the most restrained, the most godly example we can find and see what they say and how they reason it. And so that's why in a week or two, I'll read from, I got the little pamphlet. I'll read right from it. I'll let them speak for themselves. What they're going to say, because they're being more biblical, is nobody gets the gift of tongues. Not everyone gets the gift of tongues permanently. But everybody upon baptism of the Holy Spirit will at least temporarily speak in tongues. And then for some who have the gift, it'll continue. And now in practice, in practice, just what everybody who's a charismatic thinks they have a prayer language. I'm just making the first observation. That, that ain't what Paul's saying. Whatever's going on, we shouldn't expect the majority of people to have the same gift. That should not be what we expect based on this. All, I'm sort of closing in. Slowly, I'm just making my first observation. The Spirit decides, not us, and we should expect a wide diversity, not everybody with the same gift. Because Paul's whole question at the end is obviously no. But that's a fair question. We'll zoom in closer. But I think that's what they'd say, is not everybody gets to keep it, but everyone starts with it. In practice, since everybody starts with it, just about everybody in practice keeps it or thinks they're keeping it, whatever. Does that help as a short answer? Okay, okay. But to their credit, they recognize... You can't teach that everyone can speak in tongues. You can live that way, but you can't teach it. Um, Okay. (sighs) Okay. Questions on that? We're going any further? Yes. Oh, no. What's your question, Candy? Yes. Sure. The context is by speaking under the authority of a spirit. And there are demons, and the pagan, he starts by talking about the pagan practices. The, you know, the oracle at Delphi, she'd, she'd enter into an opium or some sort of haze, and, and she'd speak. And if someone is speaking by a spirit, if they're saying Jesus is cursed, it's not the Holy Spirit. And if they are saying Jesus is Lord, it's not a demon. It does not mean that anybody can just say, if you say Jesus is Lord, you're the Holy Spirit. Of course, that doesn't work. Which is why I say, if someone can work a miracle and say Jesus is Lord, they win. When we, when the, one of the points I'm going to get to when we talk about the charismatic issue, I posted this on Facebook and no one said anything. Oh, my Facebook friends forgot my birthday. Um, <laughs> is, is the very fact that we're arguing, that the very fact that the charismatics have to argue that they can work miracles is a devastating and sufficient refutation of their position. I'll say that again. The very fact that charismatics feel the need to bring arguments to the table as opposed to simply go raise somebody from the dead. Go take somebody who's got a hand that's cut off and do it in not in some back corner where nobody, I know a friend who knows a friend, but just let's just do it. And if you can do that and say, Jesus is Lord, you win. This person is clearly working miraculous power, and they just said Jesus is Lord, so the miraculous power can't be a demon. You win. The very fact that 40, 50 years after the charismatic revivals happened, they're still bringing arguments to the table and that they have to do that is a pretty strong refutation. And anyway, we're getting, we're getting there in a couple of weeks, but that's one of the points is, you know. <laughs> no, it does not mean that. No. Under the, under the influence of a spirit, um, if you say Jesus is Lord, 
that it must be the Holy Spirit, is what Paul is saying at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12. Not, otherwise you could just go out and like, here's a book, say Jesus is Lord. Yes, another child into heaven. Okay. Um, there's evangelism that honestly is dangerously close to that. <laughs> yes. It just becomes prayer, prayer. But yeah. And, and two, that, so for the tape, um, two, two of the women present have spent years in the Assembly of God churches testifying that they do teach that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Technically, on their doctrinal statement, if you don't speak in tongues, you haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit. They then want to differentiate between those who are... So the, the doctrinal... Now, the individual church might teach that, that the official Assemblies of God statement would recognize us as Christians. We're just not Spirit-baptized Christians. My next point, though, would be verse 12. If I'm not baptized in the Spirit, I'm not a Christian. Look at 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members are of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. If I haven't been baptized by one Spirit, I'm not part of the body of Christ. You can't, you, yeah. So I appreciate, at least in their statement, their desire to not damn the rest of us to hell. But you can't really live in, like, there's spirit-baptized Christians and there's non-spirit-baptized Christians. And honestly, to their credit, there's a couple other guys who are much more restrained and biblical, and we can have good dialogue with. The Holy Spirit in his systematic theology freely admits every Christian's baptized in the Spirit. And so he, the, the reason why, and this, this is coming out of my, my message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is... They want to find that there's, a, we all want to, I mean, I'm not trying to vilify, we all want to find biblical texts to back up our experience. And so if you became a Christian, and sometime after you become a Christian, you have a powerful experience that you think is accompanied by miraculous signs, what would that be? And they go, oh, the apostles were followers of Jesus, and then later, months later, weeks later, they had this experience, that must be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so by calling that second event the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they, they are attempting to get biblical um, warrant and biblical um, precedent for that. And Grudem, to his credit, says, we can't do that. Now, we can argue there is a second experience, but we can't claim that second experience is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, good for you, Grudem. Um, and, I, and I welcome dialogue with that. Frequently, the difficulty in dialoguing the people on this is unlike guys like Grudem and Piper, who are strictly biblical. Most people, it becomes, well, the text says, well, I had this experience. And that conversation goes nowhere. I, I haven't had your experience, so I can't interact with that. I got this text, well, I have this experience. And so the, they usually just sort of shoot past each other and become pointless. To their credit, guys like Piper and Grudem don't ever do that. Don't ever. So I, I, I have all the patience in the world for those guys. You know. Um, anyway, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Yes, Larry. Well, no, no, not it wouldn't have to be. What they're saying, what they're saying is, whenever the Holy, okay, what they would say in their best case, I, I get your, I think it can become that because what you're saying is it's just tremendous pressure, and I think a lot of people feel pressure to fake it, um, and. In their theology, they would say, when a person has faith, God responds by forgiving their sins and sending his Holy Spirit. And then they would say, and whenever the Holy Spirit comes, 
the evidence, the sign that the Spirit has come is always speaking in tongues. So they would say, no, no, you're not being saved by works. When the person speaks in tongues, they've already been saved. We're just saying the way you know the tree is alive is it bears fruit. The first piece of fruit the Christian bears is, you know, whatever. And so that's what they'd say. Now, in practice, I think you have a good point, Larry. In practice, what people hear is, I'm not saved till I speak in tongues. And the danger then becomes, so I don't want to vilify the charismatics. I, I think the faithful charismatics say, no, no, absolutely not. But you haven't received the Holy Spirit till you speak in tongues, and if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. It translates to, I need to speak in tongues to be a Christian. And that does sound an awful lot like work salvation. I just don't want to, I want, I want to say, no, they would never say that. Um, although I do fear the dangers, it becomes that. Um, certainly. Um, wisdom. Yeah, First Corinthians 1. The Jews demand signs. No, Greeks demand signs. No, Jews want signs. Greeks want wisdom. Yes. Fair enough. We'll get, we'll get to all. Of, no, we will get to all that. This is we're getting ahead of ourselves. This is good stuff, though. Okay. First Peter four. First Peter four. Spiritual gifts are given to every believer. Now we saw that already here in verse seven. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. First Peter four is even more explicit. First Peter four verses ten and eleven. As each has received a gift, and the concept of the Greek is each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, the blanks. Each one indicates that this applies to every believer. Has received indicates that each believer has already received the gift. Peter characterizes all gifts into two groups. This is more of an observation, speaking and serving. We look at the gifts, at least for Peter, you break them into, into, into two groups. You might be able to make a third group as well. There are speaking gifts. That would include um, prophecy. That would include um, gifts of wisdom, tongues, utterance. Um, those be the speaking gifts. And then there are gifts of serving, administration. We saw in, in 1 Corinthians, we see here uh, those who serve, um, where is it back in here? There's one who serves by strength God supplies. So those who speaks and those who serve. So that's one way of looking at the various gifts. We have speaking gifts, serving gifts. Um, is that the end of the front side? We've finished the front side? No, we got more on the front side. We still got more on the front side. Okay. Um, we'll try to finish the front side then today. And yeah, we can try it. Let's see. Now, this is the key. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12. This is the key to get. Hammer this into your heads when you discuss spiritual gifts of people. Because Paul says it repeatedly. What are the purpose of the spiritual gifts? Look at 12.7. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for... For what? Common good. I want to make this point. And I think this point is really going to be the downfall of a lot of charismatic theology. There are 
no such things as self-building up, self-edifying spiritual gifts. The whole, it, that works entirely against Paul's entire, entire chapter 12, where the body needs each other, and I need you, and you need me, and we all supply what the other person lacks, and the joints and the ligaments contribute together. If I'm an automaton, I've got the spiritual gifts that I need to edify myself. What do I need you guys for? There's no such thing as self-edifying spiritual gifts. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So whatever spiritual gifts we claim to have, you've got to show me how it builds up the body and not yourself. And I think you know where I'm headed. I'm going to take on prayer languages. Because prayer languages in your closet don't build up anybody but yourself. And so if somebody wants to claim, no, I've got a prayer language, I don't think so. Anyway. Getting ahead of myself, but that's a big point. I want you to understand why I think this is a big point. Um, There are no self-edifying gifts. We are to use our gifts in service of each other. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 to 14, verses 2 to 4, you'll see the same thing. Prophecy is superior to tongues because it edifies everyone. Pursue love. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy prophesy. For the one who speaks in the tongue speaks not to men but to God, not for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, people, oh no, no, see, he just said he builds himself up. I think Paul's being sarcastic. I don't think for a second Paul's like, oh, no, that's great. He's building himself up. In the contrast, he's saying it's so much better to build up other people. This guy's trying to build himself up. This guy's building up the body. We'll, we'll get to this. In a week or two, we'll get to this. So I won't try to spend all of our time in 1 Corinthians 14. I just want to point out, Paul definitely has in view corporate edification. Prophecy is superior to tongues because it edifies everyone. The gifts are given for the common good. Um, so yeah, one of my first questions I'll ask somebody who claims to have a, a, the gift of tongues is how, how, how does the exercise of your gift build up the body? Now, maybe they got an answer, but that's one of the first questions I want to ask because they're given for the common good. Just, I'm just curious, could you tell me how your gift builds up the body? Um, anyway, anyway, let, let, me, let me try to bring this home for us and our purposes rather than just jumping over to the charismatic issues. What this means is if you're a Christian, God has gifted you to serve the body. I mean, this gets back to Ephesians 4. He gave the apostles, he gave the prophets. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which is what? What's the work of the ministry in Ephesians 4? Anyone remember? Building up of the body of Christ. All of us have ministry. That ministry is to build up the body of Christ. And we just find out here, all of us are gifted by the Spirit, to do that work. So you got a job, and you got tools for the job. you got a job, and you got equipment. Yeah, let's, let's go to Ephesians 4, just so you can see this plainly. Again, again, and again, and again, and again, Ephesians 4. Um, and again, the point being, this isn't something you can do by yourself in a corner. This is, this is why um, churchless Christianity is, is, makes no sense. You, you were born again into a body, you were born again with gifts to serve other people. No, thank you. I'm just going to follow Jesus on my own into the sunset. I don't think it's going to work out very well. Ephesians 4, verse 11. 
He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. The work of ministry does not belong to the leaders. Well, it does only in so much as the leaders are saints. I have ministry not because I'm a pastor. I have ministry because I'm a Christian. I have to equip people because I'm a pastor. He gave the prophets and the apostles to equip the saints. That's the special. The special charge I have is an equipping charge. The special charge Greg has is an equipping charge. The work of the ministry is all of ours. What is the ministry? Building up the body of Christ. Well, maybe, maybe the body of Christ is built up enough already. You know, maybe the early church was... So, well, until we attained the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So nope, we ain't done, and we won't be done anytime soon. We've got a job to do that will not be finished this side of eternity. And the leadership is here to help equip, to coordinate the body doing that job. How do, we, how do we do this? Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Primarily, we speak the truth in love to each other. We speak the truth in love in encouragement. We speak the truth in love in correction. We speak the truth in love in teaching. We speak the truth in love in... Um, in, in discussing, we speak the truth in love. Uh, the, some of the most significant things you'll do in your life involve speaking the truth in love to your neighbors and your family. It's evangelism. It's speaking the truth in love to an unbeliever. Uh, right? I mean, it sounds so simple, and yet it's profound. What? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. First Peter 4.10. Above that. Oh, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Sorry. Christ gave the church gifts, did men. Sorry, I skipped over that, didn't I? Yeah, sorry about that. We ended up there anyway. Um, Christ gave the church gifted men to equip, to build the body of Christ by equipping the saints for service. Christ gave the church gifted men to build the body of Christ by equipping the saints for service. No, you're quite welcome. Um, and the blanks above that, your spiritual gifts are for the edification of the body, not the edification of self. Not the edification. Okay, five minutes, last set of blanks. In order to serve others, not benefit ourselves. First Peter 4.10, we already saw, we are to use our gifts in service of each other. In service of each other. I read... First Peter 4.10 again to you. Um, you got to fit those. You got to fit those of each other. No, you just got to squeeze them in, hyphenate it. Of each other. Of each other. There you go. First Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Don't use it to serve yourself. First Corinthians 14. 2 through 14, prophecy superior to tongues because it edifies everyone. So that's, that's our starting points we're looking at, um, is the source of spiritual gifts is the Holy Spirit. The who, everyone is equipped. 
Everyone's equipped. One other thing. The lists that we get in the New Testament, there are four lists in various places in the New Testament of gifts. They aren't identical, which leads us to believe they're not exhaustive. I don't think Paul or Peter is naming every single last one. Um, now, that, that observation has led some churches to come up with some very speculative spiritual gifts, um, including, and I do not make this up, I do not make this up, a church in California where people claim to have the spiritual gift of pole dancing. Kid you not, you can, you can go pole dancing. Kid you not. I have the spiritual gift of seducing men. I mean, that's, I guess, what they're saying. I don't know. Um, but, <laughs> but, but I don't think the lists are exhaustive. And we each have a gift. And so my challenge for you, we're going to get out two or three minutes early, is are, are you using your gifts to serve? You know, you think of Jesus' parable of the guy who buried, who was given money and he buried it in the sand. You know God has given you a gift. Now you can bury it in the sand or you can use it. If you're using it, you're using it to build the body. You're not using it to build up yourself. You're not using it to build up some other third thing. You're using it to build up your church body. So are you? And hopefully in the coming weeks, if you're not, rather than feeling condemned, we can help you find out how to do it. By the way, that's what leadership's here for. Greg, myself, the other elders would love nothing more than someone to say, hey, I want to I serve. I want to I do the work in the ministry. I, mean, I just have no idea what I'm doing and how. Like, that's a great place to start. Yeah? So, so we're here to help you figure that out. So you're like, I don't know. That's what we're here for. We're here to equip people to do exactly that. Amen. Let's, let's close in prayer. Lord God, just thank you for, for gifting us, for, um, for being gracious to us, for sending your son for us and for giving us the gifts of your spirit to us. We just pray that you would help us to use those faithfully in our body. In Jesus' name, amen.